Chuck Brownman story, Independence Day, is up on the Shotgun Honey website, and he expects to have other stories appearing in some anthologies later this year. But more about those later. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories, others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, unless the dogs decide to go psycho. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and eBooks. A Word Before Dying, Season 4, is available in print from Amazon and as an eBook everywhere. Move It or Lose It, that's this season, will be available beginning March 23rd. This is Season 5, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express. A riverboat then took center stage on Death of the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. Then there are the heists, from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode three, a once futuristic, but now very much reality, high-tech sports car is the featured vehicle. This is Speed Kills by Chuck Brownman. Shifting from park into drive, preliminary investigation. Vista Hermosa police detectives Jonas Maple and Kimberly Collins completed the twisty drive up Stedman's Hill, arriving finally at the top where the Stubbins mansion sat. As directed by the uniformed officer, they proceeded to the end of the lengthy driveway, pulling up in front of an oversized garage. That's where they'd find the bodies. As Maple got out of the car, he looked down at Vista Hermosa from this perspective that he'd never seen before. From this vantage point above the central California town of 25,000, Vista Hermosa looked like the more idyllic than its working class reality. Maple even imagined that he could see the Pacific Ocean a few dozen miles beyond. The buzzing of his cell phone yanked him away from the view. The chief, Collins, a junior detective who just joined the HVPD, was staring at him quizzically, waiting. Go introduce yourself to Sergeant Adamson. He's supervising the crime scene, he told her. Watching Collins as she walked into the garage, Maple pushed the green telephone icon. Yes, Chief? This is a big case, Jonah, Chief Daniels replied, not wasting time on small talk. Any thoughts yet? I just got here, Maple said. Haven't even talked to Adamson yet. What about your new partner, the Chief asked. Maple looked to the garage entrance into which Collins had disappeared. She seems okay. We chatted in the car on the way here. 
third in her class at the Sacramento Academy, five years experience in their PD, but her reasons for leaving seemed a bit fuzzy. Just worry about the case for now, the chief cleared his throat. <clears throat> Listen, Jonas, the mayor's all over me on this. Both victims are high profile, so the internet's gonna explode, and Vista Hermosa's gonna get a lot of publicity. We want it to be positive, not how we can't police our town. We need you to solve it. ASAP, read me. Loud and clear, sir. Maple disconnected and followed where Collins had walked in, nodding to the uniform officer guarding the door. For a garage, it was huge. Closer to a big box retailer than any garage Maple had ever seen, and several times bigger than his bungalow. A half dozen cars, all fancy foreign models he didn't recognize, sat scattered about in various locations, gleaming under intense LED lights, as if on display at a museum. He spotted Sergeant Adamson in the middle of the building and headed that way. Adamson was tall and brawny, just a handful of years older than Maple, but a departmental lifer. He knew his stuff, how to train raw recruits, how to handle a crime scene. For the sake of the department and making his own job easier, Maple Holt Adamson didn't retire when he hit his 30. Sarge, Maple called to get his attention. What do you know so far? Not a hell of a lot, Jonas. Adamson walked to the two bodies, each covered. Tuvix, Alistair Stubbins, and Quinton Ballinger. Stubbins is local. You familiar with them? Maple knelt to look quickly at the bodies. The doc would fill him in, but Maple preferred to get a first-hand look himself. No physical wounds, other than having skin the color of cherries, the two men looked peaceful, almost as if they'd settled in for a nap. He stood, letting his gaze travel from the bodies, taking in the broad details of the crime scene. The two bodies laid beside a shiny silver car. The floor was clean enough to eat off of, Multiple tool chests, two open, others closed. He'd get the specifics later. He's a car developer, inventor, something like that? Columns beside him gasped. Are you kidding? Developer, inventor? She thumbed her cell phone and thrust it toward Maple like a weapon. Maple leaned forward to look, some sort of news article or profile. Alistair Stubbins is a visionary, Collins went on, creating cars that are technologically and environmentally superior to what's on the road now. Why, he's practically Henry Ford, Nikola Tesla, Carl Benz, and John DeLorean all combined. He's building a new car, the Meta QN7, supposed to be the one that will surpass anything else. According to the online chatter, the car was supposed to be futuristically way out there, as much related to current vehicles today as cars are to horses and buggies. Maple waved her phone away from his face. He turned to Am Adamson and gave him a, there's no one crazier than a true believer look. Adamson suppressed a grin. What about the other guy, Ballinger, Maple asked. Stubbins has to be the target, Collins said. Why worry about Ballinger? Two victims, Collins. They're both equal until we know more. Collins mumbled something and stopped, stomped toward the M.E., who was walking around taking readings and measurements. Maple wouldn't catch up. Maple would catch up to her momentarily. New detectives. They think they know it all in one day. Who found the bodies? Maple asked. Housekeeper, Adamson responded. Mrs. Stubbins told her that Mr. Stubbins hadn't come in all night and sent her out to remind him that they had guests who needed breakfast. 
the wife only noticed his absence this morning? Apparently, Stubbins was something of an absent-minded inventor, Adamson said. Rich people, go figure. Maple processed the information. So what's Ballinger's story? Adamson consulted his notebook. Don't much about Ballinger yet. A car manufacturer from England. Flew in yesterday to talk about some business deal with Stubbins and another car maker, uh, uh, Sergei Ivanov. Ivanov's alive and in the house. All Ivanov and Mrs. Stubbins would say is that it was some sort of partnership. Mrs. Stubbins, huh? She in the house too, Maple asked? Adamson nodded. Along with Stubbinson's two grown children from his first marriage. All four of them on the grounds overnight. Full and easy access to the garage here. Cynic, Maple said, grinning. Have your guys look throughout this place and see if they can tell if anything's been disturbed or out of place. And do a search outside. Look for footprints, tracks, anything that might indicate any visitors from outside. I only got a couple of unis here, Jonas. But I'll have them look around. Maple didn't have the time or energy to once again get into a long discussion about how Vista Hermosa couldn't afford a bigger department. He and Adamson had spent hours grousing over beers about that topic. Just do the best you can. Maple joined Collins and the medical examiner. Doc Wilson was a partially retired internist who served as Vista Hermosa's part-time, as-needed, M.E. Times being what they were, the town couldn't afford a full-time coroner. Difficult cases were shipped off to the state's crime lab. But Doc was competent. He'd practiced for decades, and unless specialized tests or equipment were needed, very little got past him. What you got, Doc? Maple asked him. Doc squinted and frowned, adding more wrinkles to his already creased face. Damnedest thing I've seen in quite a while, Detective. As I was telling your colleague, he nodded to Collins, Near as I can tell, the two men died from carbon monoxide poisoning. They both had cherry red coloration in the skin, and that's the tip-off. I'll confirm it at my office. But yeah, I'm sure. Doesn't make any sense. No space heaters or generators, the usual cause. Maple looked around the large, sturdy building. At least two exits. Plus, he pointed to the front of the structures, a garage bay door. How did two car experts get caught in an enclosed space with the engine running and not get out? Well, that's your Ballywick detective figuring out the who, how, and why. Doc Wilson held up a meter. But I had one of the kitty cops go get an analyzer from the hardware store, and the test results don't lie. I'm still getting trace readings in the air. Oh, nothing harmful any longer, so don't worry. But it's in here. Huh, Maple said at the idea time of death? Oh, eight to eleven hours ago, Doc said. So that makes it sometime between uh, eleven and two this morning, Maple said, doing the math. Thanks, Doc. Let me know if you find anything else. Maple walked back to Sergeant Adamson, Collins trying to keep up with his strides. She said, what are you? Hold on a sec. Hey, Sarge. Adamson finished talking to the uniform officer who nodded and left. What is it, Jonas? I need your guys to check each car in here. Look for any signs of tampering, Maple said. Or anything that might tell us if one of them was running eight, ten hours ago. And get fingerprints from each one, too. He explained Doc Wilson's cause of death conclusion. One of these vehicles was used as a murder weapon, and I want to know which one. 
Maple pointed to the doors on each wall and double-checked the locks on each door. I want to know why these two automotive experts didn't simply leave. Adamson rubbed his jaw. We'll do our best, Jonas. Chief's on the warpath, Sarge. You might need to do better than that. Interesting, observed Collins. Maple raised his eyebrows in a what-do-you-see gesture. It may not be anything, Collins continued. The rest of the garage is neat as a pin, but here, she pointed to the area around where the bodies had been found, it's a mess. Total disarray, tools scattered everywhere. Maple looked more closely where Collins pointed. Toolboxes were overturned, their contents dumped. Hammers, wrenches, screwdrivers lay strewn across the floor. I assume this was what all garages look like. The place I take mine to sure does. Then he looked at the rest of the garage. But you're right, compared to how neat the rest of the place is, maybe a struggle? Collins nodded. The killer attacked both victims, immobilizing them, then started the car, left him to die. Pretty cold if you ask me. And one more thing, added Maple. Stubbins and Ballinger knew their killer. Collins frowned. How do you, f how do you figure? Locks on the doors. The struggle occurred in the middle of this huge space, not near any entrances where a thief might have been waiting. And from what we know, nothing taken. Maple shook his head. This wasn't a robbery gone wrong. A disquieting silence settled over Maple, Collins, and Adamson as the realization of that conclusion hit them. It was Maple who broke the quiet. Sarge, who was in the house last night? Adamson consulted his notebook. Other than the household staff, all of whom have worked here for years, just Stubbins' wife Ashley, his adult kids, Paul and Regan, and Ivanov, that Russian car maker. All right, Maple said, Collins and I will talk to the four of them. You talk to the staff and see if any of them heard or knows anything. Maple pointed to the tools on the floor. And let's take prints off of those. Maybe the killer left one of theirs. Will do, Jonas, Adamson said, but I ain't holding my breath. From the look of things, I think someone smart committed this crime. Adamson walked away, getting his too few uniformed officers to tackle Maple's too many tasks. Maple and Collins walked the other way toward the door leading into the house. How long have you been a gearhead, he asked her. <laughs> Ever since my father made it apparent he wanted a son. Ouch, Maple muttered. So where do we start, she asked. Where we usually do, Maple said, with the grieving widow. First Gear, The Wife Maple and Collins found Alistair Stubbins' wife, Ashley, on the second floor of the sprawling house in a sun-filled sitting room. To Maple's amazement, the woman actually appeared to be grieving. Weeping gently, the new widow was at least a quarter century younger than her mid-sixties husband. She sat on a plush white sofa, the sun making her strawberry blonde hair glow. Fragile, expensive-looking glass pieces were clustered on tables and shelves that surrounded her. Maple, feeling like the proverbial bull in a museum's china shop, was hesitant to move around. Having grown up in Vista Hermosa, Maple had never spent time in a room this opulent. Mrs. Stubbins, he said, we're sorry for your loss, but we have questions that can't wait. 
With a final snipple, sniffle and a gentle dab at her eyes, Ashley Stubbins nodded. What do you need to know? Why were your husband and Ballinger in the garage so late last night, he asked. Best to start with factual questions before asking her for her alibi. She clutched the tissue. I assume Alistair was talking to Mr. Ballinger about the business arrangement. Alistair needed assistance getting parts for the QN7, and he was contemplating a manufacturing partnership with either Mr. Ballinger or Mr. Evenoff. Not both, Maple asked. She shook her head. He was intending to select only one. I believe he had decided to partner up with Mr. Ballinger. The other victim, Maple thought. Curious. Had you met Mr. Ballinger before? My husband preferred being here in Vista Hermosa over traveling and socializing with his peers. She exhaled loudly. So he hadn't met either Mr. Ballinger or Mr. Evenoff before this. If he had, he wouldn't have done business with either of them. But his options were limited. How did Mr. Evenoff react to hearing that he hadn't been chosen? Maple asked. I don't know if he knew yet, she shivered but I can't imagine he would have taken the news graciously. That gives him motive, Maple thought. And this QN7 you mentioned, that your husband's new car model? If his enthusiasm was to be de believed, Detective, it's supposed to be the radical next step in car development. Something to do with advanced sensors and artificial intelligence, high speeds combined with collision avoidance technology, things like that. Collins flicked Maple a I-told-you-so look. Ashley Stubbins picked up a china coffee cup and took a delicate sip. Those were the rumors. Collins leaned forward, her eyes wide. Can you confirm them? Her excitement at getting an inside scoop on the new car was apparent. Mrs. Stubbins returned the cup and saucer to the table. The plans are top secret, detective. I don't have many specifics. Alistair's kept them confidential, even from me. Maple's curiosity took an upturn. Was that unusual? Mrs. Stubbins fixed him with a direct look, her hazel eyes unblinking. I know what you think, Detective Maple, what everyone thinks, but I'm no trophy wife. I was Alistair's personal assistant for eight years before we married. I often helped him work out his non-technical problems. Nice going, Jonas. She's pissed off. It's a great way to get her over up, he thought to himself. Better shift topics. I'm sure that will help you run the company going forward. I assume you inherit the business? As Alistair's third wife detective, I signed a prenup. I receive a generous settlement to maintain my lifestyle, plus continued use of the condos in Aspen and Manhattan. Paul and Regan, Alistair's children, they get the bulk of the estate, including the company. That arrangement's been in place for several years. We're all aware of it. Do his children have money issues, Maple asked. You'll have to ask them, she said. Was there anything worrying your husband, Collins asked. Any changes in his life, anyone he was having problems with? Mrs. Stubbins snorted. Fine-tuning the QN7, getting the bugs fist fixed, that was monopolizing his life. I see, Maple said. And just so our notes are complete, Mrs. Stubbins, where were you last night, between 11 and 2? Ashley Stubbins pursed her lips, giving a look Maple couldn't quite interpret, something between bemused annoyance and reluctant cooperation. 
The spouse is always under suspicion, she asked. We simply have to determine everyone's whereabouts, Maple said, delicately sidestepping her question. I was here in our bedroom, detective, she said, sweeping her hand in a grand gesture, asleep and alone. Whether you believe me or not, I loved Alistair. Maple and Collins thanked her for her time, expressed their condolences once more, and then left. As they descended the stairs, Collins said, She genuinely seems broken up. She doesn't appear to have a motive. I don't know, sounds to me like she wanted to travel more, Maple said. Besides, I'm sure there are dozens of grieving widows with no motives currently residing at Couchilla, he said, referring to California's female-only prison and the only and the location of the state's row for... Okay, referring to California's female-only prison and the location of the state's death row for women. Collins rolled her eyes. Are you always this cynical? Maple smiled and thought, the naivete of the inexperienced. Just wait until she arrests a kid for killing his parent, sibling, or grandparents for a few bucks. Her perspective will change. Then Collins asked, what now, the kids? Maple considered what Ashley Stubbins had told them. Even off, he said. If this new car was so totally controlling Stubbins' life, I think we need to know more about the car and the so-called business arrangement he was contemplating. Second Gear, The Russian Businessman. Maple and Collins found Sergei Ivanov on the sun-drenched back porch, pacing back and forth, talking excitedly in Russian on his cell phone. When he saw the detectives, he said something that sounded like Pogovorium Poshk and stabbed the screen at the f Are you the police? Yes? Ivanov looked exactly like the central casting guy would send to a producer if he asked for a Russian oligarch. Tall, with slick back hair and wild-rimmed glasses, he sported a cocky grin as if privy to a private joke. After introducing themselves, Maple asked Ivanov where he had been last night around midnight. Ivanov folded his arms and looked down disapprovingly. I am Russian, so of course I am suspect. There's been a murder, Colin said. Everyone's a suspect. Hmm, Ivanov scoffed. I was in my room all night, alone. Maple could believe that part. I mean, who'd want to spend time with this guy? I understand Mr. Stubbins turned you down for the new business deal. You must have been upset. Ivanov sat on a deck chair without offering a seat to either Maple or Collins. Maple assumed it was intentional, the Russian reinforcing his view that the detectives were merely workers and not equal to his status. Ivanov drank from a cup beside him and then scowled at its contents. Tea. Ugh should be vodka. He shifted in his chair. QN7 is very fast car. Many new computer advancings to, what is the word? Maneuver, avoid obstacles, always protect itself. Always thinking, cognition called cutonic engrams. Brand new, very, very hush-hush. But Stubbins, he needed help. Very specialized metals and natural resources, computer chips, all hard to get. Maple didn't know a carburetor from a cylinder, although he'd blown a gasket from time to time when confronted with the lazy or sloppy police work. He glanced at Collins for help. To his relief, she picked up on his distress signal and repeated the last question, 
why did Stubbins turn you down? Ivanov looked at Collins as if seeing her for the first time. He smiled broadly and leered. Maple's fist tensed, ready to protect his young partner. Young lady detective, this is a good question. You should be in charge. Maybe I need very private, um, security consultant. Save your breath and use it to answer my question, she replied. Maple felt himself relax. Collins, obviously no stranger to unwanted attention from creepy men, didn't need protecting. Even off grinned, no stranger himself to being rebuffed. Stubbins say Ballinger better fit. I say he's wrong. Word around our industry is Ballinger's having money problems, lowering production standards, cutting corners. Stubbins wanted only best. He pointed his polished thumb to his chest. Me. Maple wanted to pin the Russian down. So why stay after you've been rejected? I plan one more time to talk with Stubbins. I take page from your capitalist strategy. Ivanov grinned. I play, how you say, hardball? Stubbins needs hard to get resources. Russia has friends in many places. You were going to extort Stubbins? Colin asked, surprise slipping into the question. Ivanov shrugged. It's how game is played, detective. Maple knew all about games criminals engaged in to achieve their goals. And what would happen to you if you returned home without a deal? Ivanov paled, the first crack in his otherwise cocky veneer. No need to consider this. Stubbins and Ballinger are both dead. Ivanov's phone thrilled. He glanced at the number and then stood. I must take call. Much plans to make. Maple and Stubbins Mabel and Collins left him as they found him, talking excitedly in Russian. A minute later, they stood alone in the grand entry of the house. I don't like that man, Collins said. Makes two of us, but we're flying blind here. Maple pulled out his phone. Who are you calling? She leaned in with curiosity. Maple, Maple gave her a conspirator's grin. Taking someone up on his offer to help, the chief answered on the second ring. Tell me you've crossed the case, Jonas. At least you've got a solid lead. Not yet, Chief, but if you want to help, there are two things you can look into. Silence. Chief Daniels wasn't a bad guy, and from what most old-timers told Maple, he hadn't been a bad cop. But despite his earlier offer, maybe he didn't appreciate being asked to actually do anything. Too bad. He wanted the case closed quick. He needed to be prepared to pitch in. I'm sure, he said. What do you need? First, Maple said, Ballinger, the other victim. What's his background? And secondly, Ashley Stubbins' prenup. We need to make sure it says what she says it does. I'll get Nolan on those, the chief replied with his voice with relief. Stay on top of this, Jonas. Time's running short. Maple hit the red hang-up button on his phone. As he did, Colin started reading off the screen of her smartphone. Quentin Ballinger, 54, born in some English village, now a citizen of Morocco for tax reasons. CEO of Ballinger Motors, childhood education, twice divorced, no kids. She continued swiping down. Builds cars but doesn't invent. Buys or licenses designs from other companies. His company's income is down but not close to bankruptcy, at least not yet. Maple glanced at her screen and frowned. Where are you getting that? Wikipedia? Really? That's your idea of investigating? Collins gave him a 
Cat who swallowed the canary smile. In-depth profile on Cars We Notice, a highly reputable and widely followed podcast. She's no fool, Maple reminded himself, but he wasn't ready to concede defeat. Let's see what Nolan turns up. And while we're at it, let's verify everyone's locations around the time of death. Colin slid her phone into her pocket. You don't believe the widow and the Russian? Right now, Maple said, I don't believe anyone. Not without independent verification. Third Gear, Adult Children, Part 1. Maple and Collins re-entered the house looking for Stubbins' adult children who, according to the grieving widow, were due to inherit most of the inventor's estate. They found them on the first floor, in the wing closest to the garage where the bodies had been found. Regan, the daughter, was in the solarium, staring out the many windows providing a view down the mountain toward town. Paul, her older brother, was in the library. Interesting, thought Maple. A handful of hours since they learned their father was dead, and yet they're apart, not comforting one another. Standing in the hall between the two rooms, he had Collins ask Regan to join them in the library. Collins gave him a what's up look, knowing that it was unusual to question suspects together. Not wanting Regan to overhear, he whispered to her, saying, let's play them off each other. He waited for Collins to return with Regan before the three of them entered the library. The room was long, built-in shelves lined the walls, filled with expensive-looking volumes. In the middle of the room, behind a velvet sofa and matching wing chairs, stood a table with liquor bottles on it. At the table, Paul Stubbins set down a cut glass decanter and hoisted a newly filled brandy snifter. He was tall and thin, dressed in many shades of brown, tan, beige, sand, except for a rainbow scarf that hung from both sides of his neck. Welcome, members of the local constabulary, he said, then took a healthy swig, emptying the third of a glass. Very Agatha Christie, he added in a fake and over-the-top British accent. Are there any clues, Inspector? Maple and Collins exchanged looks, clearly not his first drink of the day. This isn't a game, Mr. Stubbins, Maple said, and detective will suffice. I agree, Paul replied in his normal voice. Then, resuming the thick British tone, It is not a game, Inspector. It is a play. Behave yourself, Paul, said Regan, a petite redhead with freckles. This is serious. Paul picked up a magnifying glass and continued using the fake accent. Leads to follow, footprints to track, bloodhounds to be released, eh, Inspector? All leading to Act 3 denouement, where the murderer is unmasked? Your sister's right, Mr. Stubbins, Maple warned. A murder investigation is serious. Someone's going to be arrested and spend the rest of his, or her, life in prison. And anyone who impedes our inquiries will likely join the killer in jail. I don't think either of you would enjoy that. Paul set the brandy sifter down and applauded. Bravo, Inspector! Well played! Just the right amount of earnestness and implied threat. I'm cowed into submission. He swung one end of the rainbow scarf around the front of his neck, again picked up his snifter, took a large swallow, and then sat on the soft velvet couch and lifted his legs under the sofa. Ask away! Paul's phony accent was starting to get under Maple's skin. Ignore it and get on with the questioning, he told himself. 
You told the uniform officer first on the scene that you were asleep when your father and Mr. Ballinger were killed. Can anyone verify that? He asked. Sadly, no. I was alone. When I stay here at the estate, I'm more circumspect about my sleeping arrangements. For once, my brother's telling the truth, Regan Stubbins said. He was alone at his apartment in the carriage house, as was I, assuming that was your next question. Paul confirmed his sister's statement. Seems rather convenient, Maple observed, each of you providing the alibi for the other, and for yourself. Maple waited, letting the silence play itself out, giving either sibling the opportunity to fill in the void. Neither one bit. A pair of cool customers, these two. Just then, a uniform officer ran into the room. Detectives, come quick. Sergeant Adamson needs you in the garage. Collins caught his eye and then hurried caught Collins caught his eye and then hurried out. Stay here, Maple ordered the uniform officer. Not a word between them, and take their phones. If they resist, cuff them. They ran toward the garage. Upon entering, Maple spotted Collins, Adamson, and two uniform officers next to the Meta QN7. Shouldering his way past the group, he saw Sergey Ivanov lying on the floor, white as snow, moaning and holding his right arm. Telling one of the officers to get a doctor, Maple kneeled next to Ivanov. What happened? Not for certain, he said. I opened door intending to look inside and feel electric shock. Next thing I know, you here. This garage is a crime scene, Maple snapped. What's so interesting inside the car? Were you trying to learn its secrets? Despite his obvious pain, Ivanov looked offended. I am honest businessman. Stubbins and Ballinger both dead. Why I need to steal? But rumors starting. Time to make deal is now. I must... The medical examiner arrived at that moment, the closest thing to a real doctor anywhere on the estate. He gave Ivanov a quick examination, then instructed an officer to take Ivanov to his room to rest. No further questioning right now, detective. But Doc, he's at least a person of interest. I don't care if he's Al Capone reincarnated, Dark said sharply. This man needs to rest so that he doesn't end up in my morgue. Got it? While Maple grumbled his assent, Collins ordered the officer to search the garage again. Sergeant Adamson intervened, either uncomfortable about his uniform charges taking orders from a newly minted detective, or protecting his turf as the senior uniformed officer. What are we looking for, detective? Anything or anyone that might have hurt Mr. Ivanoff, Collins said. And Sarge, added Maple, you better put your men around the garage to tighten security. I don't want anyone else getting in or out. We're stretched tighter than a camel's ass in a sandstorm, Jonas. When Maple gave him a look, Adamson raised his hand in surrender. We'll do what we can. As Maple and Collins walked back to the library to finish questioning Paul and Regan, Maple decided to test his junior partner. What do you think so far? Collins thought for a moment and then answered. We've got more questions than answers. Everyone seems to have an alibi, so unless you subscribe to the mysterious stranger that no one saw theory, somebody's lying. Agreed, Maple said. Anything else strike you? Motive. Collins took a deep breath as she thought. The wife gets the agreed prenup amounts, but maybe she can live a more carefree life now free of her husband. The kids inherit millions, and with Stubbins and Ballinger out of the way, Ivanov gets a second shot at a deal he badly needs. 
Maple Cell sounded. He glanced at it and then looked at Collins and rolled his eyes. Check on the widow's relationship with her husband. Let's see how really broken up she is. Collins nodded and then walked away. Maple tapped the screen. Yes, Chief? The mayor's pushing for an update, Maple. He said he's getting a bunch of questions from Ballinger's people and the State Department. What can I tell him? Still in the early stages, sir. We're getting statements from all the people who were here. The techs are finishing processing the crime scene. It's not fast enough, Jonas. If you can't solve this in the next few hours, we'll have to bring in the state cops, which I really don't want. The chief cleared his throat. From what I've heard, seems like it could have been an intruder or some drug user looking for quick cash, don't you think? It's certainly one possibility, Chief. Maple hesitated, caught between wanting to find the perp and wanting to keep his job. We're keeping an open mind to all theories. Don't ignore the obvious, Jonas. The clicks sounded like Maple's future. Chief wants us to be a burglary gone bad, he told Collins when she returned. She frowned. I, I suppose it could have. He cut her off. You really think so? She shook her head. No, not really. Maple's phone rang again. Detective Nolan. Talk to me, Rick, Maple said. What's Ballinger's background? He listened as the man confirmed what Collins had found on the podcast website. He thanked him and disconnected. He told Collins, Nolan confirmed the details on the prenup. And about Ballinger? It's what you said before. I'm sorry I doubted you. You're honest, Detective Maple. I'll give you that. Most experienced detectives stuck with a rookie on a big case wouldn't be so fair. Ready to finish talking to the heirs? Still in third gear, Adult Children, Part 2. Maple and Collins re-entered the library. Paul and Regan Stubbins hadn't moved. The uniform cop reported that Regan and Paul hadn't talked to each other, and Maple told him to head back to the garage to help Adamson. About time you got back, Paul stated from where he was slumped over on the couch. What's with all the excitement, Detective? Regan asked. Mr. Ivanov encountered some trouble in the garage, Miss Stubbins. He's resting at the moment. That man, Regan's derisive sigh spoke volumes. What's the matter with you, dear sister? Paul replied, his fake British accent thankfully gone. With father and Ballinger gone, his money's as good as anyone else's. Regan gave him a stormy look, her freckles seeming to darken. You're really okay with the QN7 falling into his hands? Paul waved a carefree hand. Why should I care? Maple decided it was time to retake control. What is it you do, Mr. Stubbins? I take it you're not involved in your father's automotive business. Paul chuckled. I'm a patron of the arch inspector. Theater, dance, art, all avant-garde, all designed to push the envelope and push the buttons of anyone who lives in this small-minded town. Cars? He grimaced. Merely tools and grimy ones at that to get from one place to another. Grimy tools, Reagan spat, but not so grimy that you refuse the money they generate to fund so-called artistic performances only seen by you and your boyfriends. Paul grinned, unperturbed. At least I have boyfriends, my sister dear. My boyfriend is real, she growled. Only if you built him in a lab. That's enough. Maple waved his hands like a boxer referee, sending the two fighters to their corners. As Paul went to refill his glass, Maple turned to Regan. Miss Stubbins, just to be clear, 
Were you alone last night? Still glaring at her brother, Regan said, I was, but only by choice. Maple nodded at Collins. They'd still verify each sibling's claim of being alone, but until you had evidence to the contrary, he assumed they were telling the truth. And unlike your brother, you do work for the company. She gave a sharp nod. VP of development. Now we're getting somewhere, Maple muttered. We heard that this new car, the QN7, Collins filled in the gap, incitement in her tone. Right, Maple continued. It does amazing things. Yes, sister dear, Paul said, the English accent still gone, but now replaced by sarcasm. Enthrall us all with details of what this legendary car will do. Reagan shot Paul an annoyed look, but focused on Maple and Collins. She's confirmed, she confirmed its capabilities. It's a real leap forward in artificial intelligence. In fact, that's how we came up with the Meta-I name. It's a smash-up of Meta-AI. So the artificial intelligence is entwined into the car's performance, Collins asked, her full gearhead persona coming out. That would be amazing. Right? Regan matched Collins' excitement, like two fans ooing and aahing over a hot celeb. And with its connectivity, it's like a souped-up version of Alexa, fully connected with the driver's life. All the electronics of their home, their office, everything. Maple could not understand their excitement over a car. So you're moving into the CEO's office, he asked. Reagan smiled. Before succeeding father, I chose to learn the business firsthand, from the tires up. Father approved. I didn't feel I was ready. Are you now, Maple asked. Reagan smiled confidently. I suppose we'll find out. But the two of you inherit the bulk of your father's estate, Maple said. That's millions of reasons to want him dead. She shook her head, red hair squishing as she did. The business will suffer without him. The finishing touches on the QN7 will be delayed, maybe permanently. And once this news gets out, the stock will plummet. Wait a minute, Paul said, again holding a full snifter. How much will this cost us? I've committed to bankroll Gregor's new play, and Maya's exhibit opens in a few weeks. Maple took a leak of faith. Your father didn't think much for your, for your artistic philanthropy, did he? Paul's face reddened, his grip on the snifter tightened. He was a troglodyte. Give him a greasy tool and he was happy as a pig in mud. But anything else? Maple pressed. You argued? Often? Argue? With the great automobile visionary, the mighty Stubbins? Paul scoffed. Our days of fighting were long over. Other than mandatory family events or pretending for appearances to be something out of Norman Rockwell, we traveled in our non-overlapping circles, kept our distance. Don't do that now, either of you, Maple said as he and Collins turned to leave. Stay close. As you wish, Inspector, called Paul to their backs. Once the detectives were outside the library, Collins said, Lots of motives in there. Not just money. There's ambition, parental disapproval, and who knows what else. She looked at Maple. You really think one of them killed their father? Maple, Maple shrugged. Why are you assuming it was just one? Fourth gear. Back to the crime scene. Let's head back to the garage, Maple told Collins. See if Adamson's guys have turned up anything. 
They walked down the hallway and re-entered the garage. The bodies had been removed. Two uniform officers were occupied, one checking doors and windows, the other going car to car with a guy wearing coveralls with a patch from Lefty's garage. Sergeant Adamson joined Maple and Collins. What's the guy from Lefty's? Maple asked him. Well, you wanted to know if anything was missing or out of place, Adamson said. None of my guys is much into car repair, so I thought I'd import someone who knows what he's looking for. He find anything? Collins asked. Not so far, as far as the other information you asked about. Adamson, Adamson flipped pages in his dog-eared notebook. Only Stubbins' prints are on the other cars. Windows and doors were all locked. They're connected to a very advanced home security system, and they all open and close and lock electronically. And in case you're interested, the doors were several, several inches thick, and the windows are made of unbreakable glass. Quite the fortress Dubbins built himself. Interesting, said Maple. Confirms our suspicion that Stubbins knew the murderer and let them in. What else? We checked the security system, Adamson said. Somebody entered at 11.50 last night. The two victims, Collins interrupted. That'd be my guess, Adamson nodded. But then we see that the same door, the one leading into the house, opened again at 12.47 a.m. about an hour later. The killer, Collins explained, exclaimed. Perhaps, Maple said. And then he asked Adamson, was the mechanic able to figure out which car was used to poison Stubbins and Ballinger? The new one, Adamson said, the prototype everyone's so hyped up about. The QN7? Collins's eyebrows raised. It seems pretty ironic. Someone uses a car designed to be fast, evasive, and protect lives to kill its inventor and his partner? Twisted sense of humor, if you ask me, Adamson replied. What do you think, Jonas? Maple didn't answer, instead staring at the prototype. Then he looked at the main garage bay door on the far wall, after which he turned to look at the door leading into the house. Collins cast a worried look at Adamson. Maple, are you okay? After a few more seconds of silence, Maple asked Collins, you're the resident expert on this new car. Walk me through how it starts. Collins answered, it's all electronic. There's a, dash, there's a button on the dashboard, or the driver can use a fob with a button to start it remotely. Both Maple and Adamson were peering at her intently. What, she said, holding out her hands. There was a lot of guessing on the chat boards, so I looked. I just wanted to satisfy my own curiosity. Some people have been speculating that the car might have had the ability to start itself under the right circumstances. Say if the driver were drunk or incapacitated, something like that. Why the interest, Maple? Maple didn't answer Collins, but instead turned to Adamson. Sarge, did you find a fob in Stubbins' pocket? Adamson scanned his notebook. In his pants pocket, why? Trying to visualize the crime scene, Maple said. Stubbins, Ballinger, and the murderer are near the car. Assuming that neither Stubbins nor Ballinger was trying to kill the other, how did the murderer start the car? And second, why don't Stubbins and Ballinger leave? Or why doesn't Stubbins just turn the car off? The murderer must have been the one with the fobs to start the car, Collins offered. Maybe some kind of manual override so the engine couldn't be turned off? Maple again was giving her the how-do-you-know-all-this look. With the QN7, anything's possible, she said. It's what the enthusiasts are saying. 
Anything's possible, repeated Maple. Like maybe Stubbins changed his mind about the partnership with Bollinger, started the car himself. Murder-suicide, asked Adamson. Seems a reach, Jonas. Not the first I've made, nor the last, Maple shook his head. Everything seems off. Not only is the car inventor killed by his own creation, the method is carbon monoxide poisoning. The whole case screams someone anti-cars, or at least someone against the MedIQN7, or the partnership with Ballinger. Evenoff's against the deal, Collins said. So is the daughter, and the son hates all cars. It could be any of them, she said, her excitement showing. Maple instructed Madison to put a man outside the garage bay door. No one gets in and out. Then he said to Collins, think we should continue this in the house, detective. Fifth gear, overdrive. Confirming a theory. I need to confirm a couple things, Maple said to Collins as they re-entered the house. You know who did it, she asked. Maple nodded. I have a theory. Come on, detective, share. Collins pursed her lips in annoyance. Not until I'm standing on fir firmer ground, he said, glancing at her. Otherwise, you'll think I'm nuts. Collins nodded, respecting his reason. What can I do to help? Verify the two kids' alibi, he said, and run something down for me. Maple paused at the base of the stairs. I need to know if Ballinger and Ivanov have a common business connection. Maybe they work together sometimes? I'll see what I can find out, Collins said. Where are you going? He looked at the library door. I need to do some follow-up with the widow and her daughter. They separated. Maple walked into the library where, where Paul and Regan still sat. How much longer must we endure this interminable incarceration, Inspector? Paul complained, the petulous clear in his tone. Maple ignored him. Mrs. Stubbin, Miss Stubbins, would you step out here with me, please? Regan looked mystified but agreed. More questions, detective? A few, he said. I need more detail about the Metai QN7. She shrugged. I've told you all I can. A lot of it's proprietary technology, trade secrets, that kind of thing. And many details father kept from me. These are super-duper cognitive thingies, Maple said. Where do they come from? The Cutonic engrams? I'm a mechanical engineer detective, not a bioengineer, nor a neuropsychologist. All I know are the basics. Which is a heck of a lot more than I know. Please, Miss Stubbins, Maple asked. Regan exhaled, probably a combination of frustration and putting her thoughts together. This has been a theory for decades, she said. An engram is a unit of mental action, like memory, knowledge, judgment, and perception. You with me so far? For the moment, Maple said, don't go too fast. Regan smiled and then continued. Father believed these units could be replicated on a computer chip. That's called cutonics. He put these chips in the car, allowing the vehicle to take the steps of artificial intelligence, sense, comprehend, learn, then act. And since it took seven generations of chips to get the computerized engrams to work, that's where QN7 gets its name, Cutonic Engrams, seventh version. Maple smiled. I think you downed dumb enough that even I could understand. And the car's computer, it's connected to the internet? Well, certainly, she said. 
Okay, Maple said, certain he now had the cat by the table. tail. One last thing. Do you have a set of the fobs that start the car? Regan shook her head. Maple thanked her and took her in back into the solarium where she'd been earlier. She said that she didn't want to be in the same room as her brother for now, and, well, Maple understood. Maple climbed the stairs to Ashley Stubbins' bedroom suite. The widow looked up from a photograph album she was holding. Just remembering the good times, detective. Sorry to interrupt, Maple said, feeling awkward at her teary eyes and sad manner. Just one question, Mrs. Stubbins. Did your husband give you a fob to start the Mate QN7? Ashley said, yes, he gave it to me for safekeeping. Why? Do you still have it, he asked. Certainly. She stood and crossed the room to her dresser, pulled a fob from the top drawer, and then handed it to Maple. And no one else has one, he clarified. Alistair preferred to limit access to his inventions while he perfected them, she said. But he always gave me one. A sob escaped from her throat. He said I was his lucky charm. Just then, Collins entered the room. Excusing himself, Maple joined her. What did you learn? he asked in a whisper. She answered in the same tone. No one can say for sure where Regan and Paul were. As for the other thing, she glanced over at Ashley Stubbins, making sure they weren't overheard. I had to go to some dark corners of the internet and call in some favors. It's not well known or publicized, but Ivanov and Ballinger have a deal to jointly manufacture cars, including the Matei QN7. At her hesitant nod, he built a thurry. Stubbins choosing Ballinger would still result in Ivanov giving his hands on the car. That would take away his motive. And the daughters against Ivanov, Collins added. So if she knew about this, it would boost hers, right? And regardless of who builds the QN7, the son still hates his father. Collins gave Maple a piercing look. We're back to one or both of them, aren't we? Come with me, Detective Collins. Let's go catch a murderer. And we reach the deliberation, Jack. I gotta say. I got it. Is this on? It's on. There we go. Whoops. I might have turned it off halfway through. Anyway. I got, I got no idea. Well, today's author, Chuck Brownman, is certainly racking up the body count, right? Oh, yeah. First, Alistair Stubbins and Quentin Ballinger are gassed. Then Sergei Ivanov gets singed. So here's a list of everything in the house with a heartbeat. Alistair Stubbins, okay, so he was a victim, um, but he was the inventor who controlled the world from his little corner. He liked to make people dance to his tune, and he certainly had a great vision for the QN7, but he needed a financial partner. Uh, Quentin Ballinger, also a victim, the chosen financial partner, but a man who had money issues. Living in Morocco didn't stop his company from being on the, maybe not brink of bankruptcy, but he was edging toward it, and he had a reputation for building cheaply. Then we have Sergei Ivanov, an almost victim, but a man who wouldn't accept coming in second. Now he has a reputation for top quality. Then we have Mrs. Ashley Stubbins, the trophy wife with a prenup who loved her hubby. She really did. She wasn't a trophy wife. We have Regan Stubbins, a mechanical engineering daughter and heir apparent who didn't like the deal her father was rigging with either guy. 
and Paul Stubbins, the artist in residence who didn't like anything about his father except his money. Paul seems too easy and dumb, you know? I like that the author wrote in that he had a bad fake British accent because that's the only kind of British accent I can do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you want the clues? I'll take the clues. Okay, so now that we have our heartbeats straight, here's a summary of what we know. Quentin Ballinger and Sergei Ivanov were staying at the Stubbins estate. One of them would close the deal with Alistair Stubbins to complete the design and produce the QN7. The QN7 was outfitted with next-generation artificial intelligence that would let it learn to make, it, that would let it learn to the point of making its own decisions. It was a top-secret operation. Only two key fobs existed: one Stubbins had, and the other his wife had. Security information showed the door to the garage open at 11:50 at night, and this was assumed to be Stubbins and Ballinger. Stubbins and Ballinger died of carbon monoxide poisoning that came from the QN7. There were signs of some sort of struggle, but there was no damage to either body, and both were found next to the QN7. The times of death were pinned between 11 and 2 a.m. Security information then showed that the garage door to the house was opened again at 12.40. This is assumed to be the killer. All the doors were closed, man doors and garage doors. There's no explanation for why the two able-bodied men didn't just open a door and walk out. Sergei Ivanov reports being in his bedroom all night. This was neither confirmed nor denied. Ashley Stubbins was in her bedroom all night, neither confirmed nor denied. Paul Stubbins was alone in his room in the carriage house all night, confirmed only by his sister Regan. And Regan was alone in her room in the same carriage house, only confirmed by Paul. Paul. So if it was the brother, if it was one or the other, it was both. All right. Uh, I think that's, I don't know. I don't think they would have killed him. I don't think the brother sister would have killed him. I think the brother might have, but the sister had like respect. Yeah. You know, I mean, the sister didn't like either of the deals. So maybe she thought her dad was like, you know, fallen, not falling apart, but like cheaping out on a very important, you know, part of this car i don't remember how you know passionate the sister was about the car you know if she was freaking out i know collins kind of was i mean the sister's passionate about cars in general i thought it a little strange that though she's the vp of development that her father kept her at somewhat at arm's length like she seemed to know a lot about the mechanics of the car um she certainly knew enough about the artificial intelligence and stuff that she could explain it to you and me but it seemed like this was daddy's project. And it seems weird because also how can he make a car just alone and not even like the people he's close to know anything about it in that sense, which I guess is something completely aside from who actually killed him. But that part's weird in my opinion. So any guesses on I got no idea. I don't think it's the Russian. Okay. Because if he had killed him, it doesn't explain the second part unless he faked that to try and throw off the trail. He got really electrocuted. The yeah. doc confirmed that. Well, maybe it said he got electrocuted from what? The car? Mm-hmm. So maybe he did do it and he just screwed with the car and electrocuted it. Is it does it explain why he got electrocuted by the car? No. No, it just, uh, he was screwing around in the car, got electrocuted, and that's where the cops found him sort of, you know, on the ground zigging and zagging. That electricity zipping through him. That is so stupid of him. Not of, like, the author, but of him. Anyway, um, 
I'm not going to go with him. I think I'm going to go with not the wife. She seems too happy. I'll go with the She seems kids. too happy? She's grieving no, this I mean, entire she, thing. <laughs> she's like, I loved him. She seems too happy. <laughs> she, she, she seems too happy with the husband who's dead. Oh, okay. okay. She, she seems too sad that he's gone to have done it. Okay. And I suppose if it had said, like, oh, she was an actor in her past life, then I would have said, ah, it's No, nope, no, she was but his no. uh, administrative assistant. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think she could have done it. I'm going to go with brother-sister combo. Okay. You know, that always throws them off when it's two people instead of one. That is true. That's always a twist. All right, so everybody lock your guesses in as we put the pedal to the metal and get to the conclusion. His crazy plan in place, Maple had all four suspects, Ashley, Ivanov, Paul, and Regan, brought into the garage, back to the scene of the crime to confront the killer. He gathered them a few feet from the QN7, near to where the bodies of Stubbins and Ballinger had been found. Sergeant Adamson positioned himself halfway through the group and the door leading into the house, ensuring that no one would get past him. One of the uniformed officers stood by the garage bay door. The other, Maple knew, was outside the door, holding a battering ram and an axe, just in case. Maple walked past Adamson. Your boy's ready? Adamson nodded and then spoke into his radio to the outside officers. Stay alert, Nolan. Maple addressed the four suspects. I asked all of you to join me here so that we could reconstruct the crime and, hopefully, unmask the murderer. Who did it, Inspector? Paul asked, his annoying theatrical British accent reappearing. I have a theory, but I'll need some help to substantiate it. Maple nodded to Collins. As they agreed, she'd start while Maple observed the suspects. The deaths of Eliezer Stubbins and Quinton Ballinger were suspicious from the get-go, she explained, positioning herself next to the QN7. Signs of a struggle, Two car experts poisoned by carbon monoxide from Stubbins' newest prototype? She patted the car's paint job. With exits close by, why not leave? For that matter, why not just turn off the car and open a window? Collins pointed to the four suspects. No, this was murder. And the decision to use the QN7 as a murder weapon gave us insight into the murderer's anti-car bias. Isn't that right, Paul? I didn't kill my father, he said. Now Maple picked up the narrative. Each of you had a motive for wanting Alistair Stubbins dead. Monetary, personal ambition, lifestyle, career choice. He glanced in turn at Ashley, Regan, and Paul, and then Ivanov. But only you, Mr. Ivanov, wanted both Stubbins and Ballinger dead. Stubbins told you last night that he'd chosen Ballinger to partner with. But you needed that deal to go your way for financial and political reasons, right? Ivanov crossed his arms. This is your case? You go on wild boar hunt. Not at all, Maple said. You got a hold of one of the remote fobs, started the car while your two competitors stood here, and you waited for them to die so that you could cut a deal with the grief-stricken widow. Ivanov snorted derisively. Where would I get fob? Where indeed? Maybe you had a partner, an inside man, or woman, Maple directed an accusing look at each family member. He glanced at Collins, standing next to the QN7, with her hand resting on the car's body. She shook her head, no reaction yet. 
It's not logical, Ivanov said. If I kill two men, why I need to look inside of car and get shocked? So you were trying to learn the car's secrets, Maple asked. The Russian waggled his index finger. I know rights. I say nothing without lawyer. Maple smiled grimly. Keep his number on speed dial. You're likely to need him. But for the moment, let's take Mr. Ivanov at his word. He turned to the three family members, pointing at them like an executioner. Which of you had the strongest motive? No one reacted. Maple let the silence grow to an uncomfortable length. Thanks to her prenup, Mrs. Stubbins doesn't benefit monetarily from her husband's death. But maybe she just wanted to be free to move somewhere more glamorous. Paul argued with his father when he objected to Paul's artistic endeavors, but I don't see that young man having the backbone or technical capability to carry this out. Hey, Paul said, apparently more upset at the perceived insult than happy at being left off the hook. But you, Regan, Maple went on, ignoring the son's protest. With your father out of the way, your path to the company's quarter office would be clear, and Ballinger's death mean you could negotiate a deal with Ivanov. It was you, wasn't it? At that moment, the electronic locks on the garage door and the windows clicked. Everyone was locked in. The QN7 roared to life. They all turned to stare as his engine revved. Maple studied the suspects, looking for some indication as to who was causing this, yet everyone appeared clueless. In the enclosed space with the motor racing, they would be dead in minutes. Someone turn off that damn car, Ivanov yelled. Maple pulled the fob Ashley Stubbins had given him and pressed the button. No effect. Maple called to Adamson. Sarge, get your guy outside to burst in the door. Quick. The QN7's engine revved even higher, the whine of it running at maximum RPN sounding as loud as an airplane. The horn started blaring, adding to the cacophony. Adamson railed Nolan. Use the battering ram. Use the axe. What, Sarge? Repeat. I can't make out what you're saying. Ashley stood open-mouthed as if frozen. Ivanov ran to the window and started pounding on them, not knowing the glass was unbreakable. Collins and Regan each grabbed tools, Collins ducking into the QN's interior and Regan trying unsuccessfully to lift the hood. Collins emerged and held up her hands in a gesture of helplessness. Then she began beating a heavy wrench on the exterior of the car. A memory tugged at Maple's mind. An earlier comment about the QN7's programming. Could it work? He motioned to Regan. Tell Ivanov, he yelled over the noise and right into her ear. No deal. Puzzled look crossed Regan's face. What? Maple felt woozy. He saw Paul sway and lean against a post. Time was running out. Tell Ivanov you won't do business with him under any circumstances. Hurry! Reagan shouted to be heard. No deal, Ivanov. Not today, not any day. No deal. Ivanov frowned in confusion. Maple held his breath as a moment passed without change. The QN7 is mine, Regan said, and only mine. Then the QN7's horn stopped and the engine died. Around the garage, door and window locks disengaged and Adamson's men pulled them open. Everyone ran outside to gulp fresh air. Forty minutes later, and the QN7 had been deactivated. Maple, now sufficiently recovered, explained to others what happened. As a safety measure, he said, the QN7 was programmed to avoid obstacles and collisions. 
But when the so-called self-preservation program combined with the car's meta-AI, it actually learned and expanded the principle to include avoiding anything that would harm the car. I don't understand, interjected Reagan. You're saying the car killed my father and Ballinger? But why? Cars, muttered Paul. I knew they'd be the death of me. When the vehicle, quote, overheard Stubbings and Ballinger talking about Ballinger manufacturing the car, Maple explained, its AI kicked in and used its internet access to discover Ballinger's reputation for shoddy quality. I'm guessing that the AI interpreted the situation as a threat and triggered the car's self-defense mechanism, which we all experienced close up and personal. The signs of a struggle that we saw were your father and Ballinger trying to get the QN7 to stop, just as we all did. And once the men were dead, the car's self-pervasion program used its connection to home security to again open the electronic door, making it look as if the murderer escaped back into the house. But why did the car's self-preservation program kick in this time, Regan asked. I accused you of attending to do a deal with Evenoff, Maple said. Apparently the car doesn't want him manufacturing it either. Evenoff bristled, feeling is mutual. But you'd still do it, wouldn't you, Mr. Evenoff, Collins asked, to please Moscow? Evenoff cast a weary look toward the car. I say nothing while near this crazy car. As the Russian eased away, Maple signaled to Sergeant Adamson. What's the QN7's future, Miss Stubbins? Collins asked Regan. Will you still manufacture it? Everyone's breathless in anticipation of what it can do. <laughs> we saw all it can do, Maple joked. Regan laughed and Ashley did the same. They assured Maple and Collins that the QN7 was being shelved indefinitely for further research. There was no market for a homicidal car. They walked away. How'd you know, Collins asked. I didn't for sure, Maple said. Everyone had tight alibis. When we first arrived this morning, Sarge said that someone smart committed the crime, and that comment stayed with me. You found out about Ballinger's reputation and the Ballinger Evenoff connection. Regan talked about the car being able to connect to home security and its need and ability for self-preservation, and the car itself defended itself by shocking Evenoff. Crazy or not, it, it just all seemed to fit. He smiled at Collins. You were a big help tough first case. Collins smiled, obviously pleased with Maple's recognition of her assistance. Detective, Ivanov said, this policeman keeping me. Are we not free to go? I have traveled to arrange. Everyone but you, Mr. Ivanov, Maple replied. There is the matter of you trying to steal the car's secrets. Sergeant Adams put cuffs on Ivanov. The Russian withered and screamed objections in his native language. You really think we can make theft charges stick against him? Collins asked Maple. It's thin, Maple admitted, but once he thinks about it, Evenoff may find our accommodations more reassuring than whatever waits for him back home. Maple moved toward their police car. Or maybe we'll just get him to confess. How? Collins asked. We'll stick him in the police garage for a while. Cuffed to the QN7. So, I just want to say, from the beginning, I didn't think it was the car, but I thought that line, it sounds like someone smart did this, was the <laughs> stupidest thing. I was like, you dumbass.
That was the dumbest. What? I was like, okay, the, the sentence makes sense now. But I was like, what are you? Is this like freaking... Are you kidding me? That when, line? When I was making the list of suspects in the deliberation, I was so hard. If you notice, when I did that, I said, here's everyone with a heartbeat. I did, and I was like, okay. Why would you say that? They have a heartbeat. Oh, my God. Did you like it? I did like it. I mean, it, it feels like cheating that they still arrested somebody at the end. Not like cheating, but like. You wouldn't have arrested Evenoff? I wouldn't have arrested Evenoff. He tried to steal. No, he didn't. I mean, what? He snooped around a car and got shocked. You're not not all into industrial espionage. I mean, I think you could stick him with something better than theft, like obstruction of a uh, investigation, whatever that one is. I don't think he really obstructed. He didn't know anything. He was upstairs. Yeah, in his... but you were in the middle of an investigation. Oh yeah, he okay, went and okay. With You're the, right. Uh, You're right. The car. That's mm-hmm. what he should have been in trouble for. You can't fiddle with the thing while there's literally. An active murder investigation. That's a good one. Good point. I think that would have made more sense. Yeah. Theft is menial. He didn't actually steal anything. It was attempted theft. It's not like he'll get anything big. Maybe maybe for being foreign, he should get something (laughs) extra tacked on. You mean like a spy charge? Something like that. I take it that's what you mean? Maybe. I don't know. Something about it being he came here from another country Hmm. to steal information. You could, I don't know if that would count. I don't anything. know. I don't know. Either way. Oh my God, that line. <laughs> Tool must have been smart. <laughs> and it so was the whole, that was the, the, that was that, what's it called? The, the linchpin, the key that was holding everything together. And you picked up on it. I was like, it's such then a you threw it away. Line. Then it's you threw it away. Stupid line. <laughs> Someone smart. You could have, I, I feel like, oh my God. <laughs> You're just kicking yourself. You're really mad at yourself, not no, Mr. Chuck Brownman. I Brownman. never would have gotten that it was the car. I've accepted that. It's that line. When you look backwards, though, it like it holds up. It does. It does and it doesn't. Like, really? A car learned? If you <laughs> ignore, like, basic logic of, would a car really do that? Sure, this car can because it doesn't actually exist. And we can say, or the author can say it can do whatever it wants. Well, this isn't... I mean, so much of science fiction has this kind of storyline in it. I mean, if you think back to Hal, I don't even know what that came out in the 70s or 80s. And, uh, I mean, that was about a like a spaceship taking over. Mm-hmm. This idea of artificial intelligence. Think about all the Alexas and everything. And what if it did do enough self-learning that it would be like, no, Jack, you will be in the dark. <laughs> I think the thing that surprised me most is this is the thing it decided to attack everybody on well that's, it was protecting itself because the yes, guy was going to make a dangerous che- thing to drive then well yeah that's why they're not going to put it into production but think about the fact that how is this the first time something like that has happened i mean i don't know how long this is this car has existed and i'm really it's looking still in a prototype it. it's still it's, in prototype that's why he was looking for manufacturing it's partner. Still in prototype. there's only one car and it's in stubbins garage but like how did it get access to lock all the doors? Because it was connected to the internet and he had a totally smart house. And so the car knew where it was mm-hmm. and to lock itself in. Was it trying to kill them or did it do that on accident? I think it was trying to kill them. To so it stop knows that the carbon monoxide would have killed them. Yeah, I guess. That's like really It's advanced. really sophisticated. Yeah, that's. 
I mean, it holds up in the sense of that's what happened, and you can't say it's not what didn't happen because it's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> that, I mean, that's a it's a really cool answer. Well, mystery lovers, let us know what you think of Mr. Brownman's story and whether you agree with Jack. So a little bit about Chuck. Chuck has spent the last 25 years plus working on becoming an overnight writing sensation. He concentrates on writing mysteries and suspense short fiction. His work has been published in several anthologies, including the 2019 Eyes of Texas anthology from Down and Out Press. It's actually Down and Out Books. Volumes 4 and 5 of the annual death edge tales anthology and the book of the month club anthology Uh, he won the 2017 arizona mystery writers short story contest and he was a finalist in the 2015 criminalelement.com short fiction contest his stories also appear on the mysterynet.com site and i'll just point out that as the anthology for this season comes out chuck will be featured in that In his real life, Chuck is a Houston-based corporate and energy attorney, advising and working for some of the country's most entrepreneurial companies. He's also an adjunct professor of law and has spoken at legal seminars for many years. I mean, that's how he knows so much about all this futuristic energy stuff. So that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast, for links to this season's authors and their stories. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Speed Kills was written by Chuck Brownman. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. All right, Jack, what are you going to take us out with this time? Oh, a bad note. Shut <laughs> All right, I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay, this isn't working. Just do a waltz or something. I'm, I'm no, I'm not. I just, uh. Okay. Son of a. <laughs> <laughs>